0: it's the greatest story of all and you know as we but as we enter the christmas season you know i notice every year maybe every year it gets worse it seems like our culture like society is really trying to take christ out of christmas i mean they're not going to they don't not going to give up the two weeks off right they're not going to give up the the, the vacation days they don't want to give up the time with family and all that they just don't want to put uh, christ in christmas and yeah, you know, I was, of course, it's everywhere, but I know even in our school systems, you know, there's no more Christmas break. It's now winter break. There's no more Christmas parties. There's winter parties. And, and it's, it's like, you know, they want the holiday. They want the time off. They want the celebration. They just want to change what the focus of it is. And, you know, I believe uh, Christmas is, uh, well, I'm going to be honest with you. Tracy always, she labeled me the Grinch when we were first married. You know, she labeled me the Grinch. Said I'm the Grinch that stole Christmas. And but the only reason I was really a Grinch is because we were really poor and didn't have any money. You know, so that's why I was you know try to try to get off of that way. But but um you know but I just remember as our kids were growing up especially and even now, Christmas is such a wonderful time to make some incredible mem- memories with your family, with your friends, with your kids. It's a great time to start traditions and traditions and memories that really focus the the focal point. Is is Jesus the focal point? Is is the, is the birth of our Savior? And you know, society really they, has even taken a lot of the things that come from the Christmas story, and they've made them secular. Uh, for for example, let me give you a couple things. First of all, Christmas—it's a season of giving. That's biblical. The whole story of Christmas is that is that God gave His Son Jesus into the world. He gave a gift to us—a gift. That, that, you know, redeemed us uh, from our own sins. So Jesus represents God's gift to the human race. And, of course, in the story, the wise men, they brought gifts to Jesus and his parents to honor him and to recognize his birth. And if you want to think about it, they didn't, really didn't bring ordinary gifts. They brought, they brought spectacular gifts. They brought costly gifts. What, really what, what you could say is they brought their very best to Jesus. And, you know, one of the things that, that we can give Jesus every day of the year, not just at Christmas, is our best. Give him our best, you know. So many times we give everything else our best and we give Jesus the leftovers. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about our passion, you know. Uh, I think it's funny that sometimes you hang around people and they're so passionate about a football game. They're so passionate about this. And they come to church and they're like, let's keep it down a little bit, you know. Uh, We give Jesus our our, our very best. And so Christmas is really supposed to be a season of generosity. And it's a season of generosity because we're supposed to reflect the generosity of God to us. You know, we're just, we're, we're representing, we're replicating what, what the Father God did, did to us. And so it's not <clears throat> supposed to be a season of greed. It's not supposed to be a season of making a list of all the things you want. It's not supposed to be a season where parents go out of their mind to try to make their kids happy. Have you ever gone out of your mind to try to make your kids happy and you realized it just wasn't possible? Or, or, or the, the happiness lasted for 36 hours? And so it's about generosity. God gave us a gift in Jesus that really has the potential to transform our lives if we'll let it. Amen. I mean, you can have, you know, the gift of Jesus is available to all, the transformation is available to all, but you have to open the gift. Amen. You have to receive the gift. Um, and, of course, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the essence about the giving of Christmas, the generosity of Christmas, and you know, I always, I always encourage uh, our church. I, you know, my my family, Trace and I, many many years ago, we always made sure our kids knew that we're just, we're just not buying them gifts. We're giving to people in need. We're helping people because that's what you know. Of course, it's the Christmas season. But how many of you know that we're supposed to be generous all the time? Amen. We're supposed to be generous to reflect our Father. In heaven. And so that's, that's why people ask me, well, why, why are we supporting, uh, you know, giving Christmas gifts to orphans that don't have parents? And because it's a season of generosity. It's a time when we can dig deep and give a little bit extra. So I just encourage you. You know, I think it's good if you tell your kids, hey, we have this much to spend for Christmas, but a portion of it is going to someone who doesn't have. I mean, uh, they need to see that, that we're willing to do that, and it's very important. So Christmas is a season of giving. But, you know, Christmas is a season of second chances. It's a, the whole Christmas story is about that you and I and everyone who wants, we get a second chance. We get a second chance. Aren't you thankful that God is a forgiving God and that he loves us and that he wants to give us a, give us a second chance? Now, you know, during the Christmas season, we, we hear a lot about being naughty or nice. You know what I noticed about naughty or nice? We all think that we're better than we are and that other people are naughtier than we are. I mean, that, that, that's kind of funny, you know. And so, you know, if you're, if you're good, you get good things. And if you're naughty, you get a bag of coal, right. I remember many, many years ago, Tracy was really big on making stocking for the kids. And, and I'll be honest, I didn't have anything to do with any of that. She loved all that stuff. So she made stockings for the kids. And, and then I re- we all had a stocking. I realized I had a stocking too. Of course, there was a lot more in the kids than mine. You know, what can you say? And so there's just overflowing with stuff. And I, like I noticed that she must have given me something heavy because it wasn't hanging out, but it was hanging. You know, she had to put an extra nail up there to keep it in there. And so I reached down there and it was a bag of coal. And so like I thought that was a joke and I'm looking around, well, where's my real stocking? That was it. That was it. So, so uh, you know where I was at that time, right? I was in the doghouse. But the problem is really, I mean, you think about it, being silly, we're all kind of naughty because we have a sin nature. We have a sin nature, and and that's why it's good to have a Savior because, man, on a daily basis almost, a weekly basis, we just mess up. Um, In Romans, the, the verse goes like this, Romans 3, 10 through 12, it says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless there is no one who does good, not even one. And that's talking about our, our sinful nature. Um, it's impossible to, to get above that without, without Jesus in our life. And you know, something that's very interesting about the Bible is the Bible actually says that the naughtier we are, the more Jesus will mean to us. Let me, let me phrase that in a way that's un Claus, right? The more sinful we are, the more we're forgiven, the more we will appreciate the forgiveness and the love of Jesus. There's a story in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 47. And Jesus, he's, at, he's, in a, uh, he's, eating, he's having lunch with a Pharisee. And while he's having lunch, this sinful woman comes in, and it says she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, very priceless, you know, years' wages of perfume. And she broke the jar. First of all, she was crying, and her tears landed on Jesus' feet, and she wiped his, the tears on his feet with her own hair and then she anointed him with perfume. And this Pharisee was, kind of, he was thinking if he knew who this was, he wouldn't let this happen. And so Jesus told the Pharisee a story. He said, hey, there were two people that, that owed money to, to a lender. And one owed a little bit and one owed a massive amount. And so the 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 lender forgave both of their debts. And Jesus asked him a question, who do you think will love the master more? And the guy said, the one who was forgiven the bigger debt. And Jesus said, you, you have you've spoken correctly. He said, when I came into your house, you didn't even give me a bowl to wash my feet. And she's washing my feet with, your ha- with, with her hair. And she's anointed me for burial through the perfume that she had put on me. So, I mean, think, think about that. I think sometimes in church, we get a little bit self-righteous. Like, you know, we're self-righteous. But, you know, what I've learned is this. The more that we're forgiven and when we realize the debt that we, that we, were, that we owed that was paid by Jesus, I think it should change how we are. It should make us more grateful uh, for the gift that came at Christmas. But anyway, I know I'm, I'm far from perfect and I'm, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm naughty more than some. I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to self-reflect. But, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was, um, I was out with some of my, two of my friends and we were fishing. And um, they, they condemned me for being naughty, uh, being sinful, and, and uh, were just really giving me a hard time. Let me tell you what happened. So we're out fishing and we were catching a lot of fish, but they were undersized, you know. And so we, we, we caught some keepers, and so we're fishing and fishing. And so um, one, of, one of the guys, uh, it was actually Todd Mnard who spoke a couple weeks ago. I took him down to the coast. And we went fishing. And so he caught he us caught fishing. It was like almost legal size, like, you know, just almost legal size. But the fish had swallowed the hook. And so by the time he got the hook out, it was dead. And he put it in the water, and it was floating, right? And so... so uh, I said, get that, get that out of the water. Don't throw it away. And I got it. And they said, what are you going to do? I went to the back of my boat. I hope there's no, I hope there's no uh, game wardens here, right? Uh, today I confess. I, I tell stories about me because people always seem to like it a lot better if I tell stories of my own sin than yours, you know? So, so anyway, so I filleted that fish. I did. I filleted that fish and I threw the carcass over and then I got a little Ziploc bag. I put it in ice. And then I went to the back of my boat and way up underneath... And I put it back there because, hey, if someone's gonna crawl up there and get that, give me a ticket, right? And so they're just giving me the hardest time. They're giving me the hardest time. On, they're on my boat. I paid for the gas. They're on my boat, and they're condemning me about doing that, you know? And uh, I'm thinking, man, it was gonna die. It's gonna float off. There's a porpoise right there. The porpoise is gonna eat. I was like, I hate to waste, waste not whatnot. You know, I'm thinking all this kind of stuff. So I'm thinking, yeah, technically it was wrong. But I justified it in my mind. It's kind of like this. Uh, If if you're driving your wife to hospital, she's in labor, and you're speeding, you justify that. She's got to get there. She's got to get there. Ladies, it's your husband's dream that you go into labor in the middle of the night so the freeways are clear so he can just put the pedal all the way down. But That's a dream right there. That's a dream. So you're breaking the law, you're speeding, but technically... You're trying to get your wife to hospital. So, you know, I, 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 I kind of did that in my mind. So after about an hour, they're giving me a hard time for an hour, and I'm like, man, I'm fixing to drive that island and put them out of my boat, you know. So I had another thought. I said, hey, you know, I said, I was just thinking about, you know, the story Jesus told, and, you know, they're getting spiritual. Stuff. You know, Jesus was talking about the law, and he said, if you've broken one part of the law, you're guilty of, 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 of a, you know, of disobeying all of it. They're like, yeah, he sure did. I said so tell me have either of y'all one of y'all sped the last week y'all yeah, started listing their sins the rest of the day we had peace you know we had we had peace but it's a, it's a story of second chances and you know maybe that was a silly story but there's a lot of us in here that have done wrong things that have hurt people that have broken things and it's a, second, it's a story of a second chance, and what forgiveness does, what happened at Christmas is Jesus rebooted history, and he gave us a second chance to make things right, to live at a higher level. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to live with the condemnation of everything we've done wrong, and we can just move forward and, and, and receive a second chance? Of course, Christmas is a season of love and redemption. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he died for us before, before we were, we were even born, before we even sinned. And so here's, here's something important. Without the birth of Jesus, there could be no crucifixion or resurrection. He had to first uh, fulfill all of the prophecies that he was going to be born of a virgin, that he was God among us. So the story of redemption, it starts at Christmas with the birth of Jesus Christ. And so everything about our faith, it starts with a Christmas story. And I I believe it's the greatest story of all. So let me, I'm going to read two sections of it. And um, I'm not going to read the whole Christmas story because there's a lot to it in different books. But let me read the the main part. Luke 1, 26 to 38 says, It's in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That's John the Baptist's mother. Jesus sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Uh, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word come, uh, word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Let's read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Jesus. And so what I want to do this morning is um, as as we you know can, you know keep going this morning, I wanna I wanna I wanna talk about I, I'm saying this is the greatest story of all. And so I'm gonna talk about, you know, the question is what does a great what, what makes a great story? And you know as we as we wrap the message up today, I, I just I'm gonna I'm gonna give some ideas, some thoughts. Uh, hopefully you'll go home uh, this week and, and just read, you know, in, in Matthew and Luke and read the read the Christmas story and read all about it and really just uh, get that in your spirit. And, and uh, I'm gonna, if it's the greatest story of all, that it, it it means several things. It has to provide hope. It has to provide faith. It has to provide peace and forgiveness. And so we're gonna talk about different aspects of the story. But this morning, let's talk about what makes a great story. And first of all, a great story captures the imagination. It takes you there in a literal sense. Have you ever been to someone who was like a professional storyteller? Have you ever heard that? Or maybe there was someone in your family who was just a really good storyteller. And, and uh, all the family would gather around to hear them tell the story. Now, someone else in the family could have told the same story but it wouldn't have the same effect. There, there's something about them. Uh, you know, they're able to take you on a journey in this story. They're able to make you feel like you're along for the journey. And so a great story, it captures the imagination. It, it takes you there in a literal, in a literal sense. And, again, I, I read only a portion of the Christmas story this morning. But if you read the entire story, the birth of Jesus, it gives such exacting, such exact details that I believe it takes you there on the journey. If, if you really read it and think about it Um, you know, there's, there's tension, there's drama, there's highs and lows, there's many characters involved. And I mean, a a good story isn't all just everything positive. There's tension, there's drama, there's, there's highs and lows. There's, you know, um, there's things going on. that are out of your control. And, And of course there's always good characters. You, if you watch a television show or a movie or you read a book and anything with the story, there has to be character development like so that you know who they are and you can feel for them. But think about some of the drama, tension, highs and lows, and characters of our story. First of all, there's Joseph and Mary. By all accounts, they were, they were a young Jewish couple, pledged to be married. And the Bible says that they were godly people. They were God-fearing people. Uh, they, were, they were pure uh, people. And, and, you know, there's certainly tension. I'm sure there's certainly tension when Mary went to her fiancé, her hu- pledge to be husband, which means they really were wet, married, they're waiting for the ceremony, and says, listen, I'm pregnant, but I haven't been unfaithful. I mean, that's, that's, that's a hard one to pull off, right? That's a hard one to pull off. And, and it says, well, Joseph was a good man. So he wasn't going to publicly embarrass her, but he wasn't going to marry her. You know, he was going to put her off quietly. And, you know, of course, to calm these things, the angels came. Gabriel came and talked to Mary. An angel came and talked to Joseph. How many guys, how many of you know that if you're about to marry someone and she says that, you know, she hasn't been unfaithful but she's pregnant, you need an angel to come to you? <laughs> an angel to come. That's the only way I'm marrying this woman, right? It better be a, you know, A big angel too, you know, better, 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 you know, really uh, speak something to me. And then of course, you know, they have to, they, the Bible, the prophecies were that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Well, they were in Nazareth and she was, you know, far along with child. And so, you know, Joseph puts Mary on a donkey and takes her miles and miles, journey after journey, to get her to Bethlehem to go register, and that's where Jesus is born. And how many guys are going if to, if your wife is seven, eight, you know, nine months pregnant, you're going to put on a donkey and take her across town? If you do, I, we can make money. I will pay. I'll sell tickets for that. You know, we, we want to, I mean, that, that, you know, that's just kind of kind of wild. Then we see that, you know, there's shepherds out in the field, and the shepherds, they, this choir of angels come and, and, and just start praising and glorifying God and tell them, what is happening and they rush to go see you know what what the story what, what's the you know what's going on about this birth announcement and the savior and of course then there's an innkeeper who's witnessing all these things going going back and forth and then we have wise men or some people call them magi who who come from the east and travel for miles and miles and days and days because they see a star and they know something special is going on. They know the Savior has, has been born. And then in the midst of all this, you have King Herod. And King Herod is, he's disappointed. He's upset because uh, he hears about all the rumblings of a new king been born. And if there's a new king, it means the old one is what? Invalid. And so he does a search for the, for the child and can't find it. So, I mean, again, he it's terrible, but he slaughters all the baby boys a certain age and under. I mean, just, just, I mean, so what I'm saying is there's characters in this story from all over. The king, a king is involved, and there's people, and, you know, there's rich people and poor people, and all, there's people everywhere in, involved, and so there's, you know, there, there, there's, there's certainly tension. And, of course, we know that um, God protected Joseph and Mary, and when Herod was looking to kill them, they went all the way to Egypt, went to live in Egypt so that their son, the, the Savior, the Messiah, would, would be protected. So there's, there's plots and there's tensions. You know, a, a great story, I believe, I believe the greatest stories can be verified to be true. You can make up, we can make up a, a great story, but I think the greatest stories, the one that, that, are, that are built on, you know, historically accurate events. And, you know, if if you go through the Bible, there's more than 300 fulfilled biblical prophecies in the birth, life, and resurrection of Jesus. So hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophets predicted exactly how he would be born, where, where, he, would be born, where he would be born, where he would be raised, what family and genealogy he would come through. I mean, there were, there were a lot of, uh, of pieces that had, that had to come together and you know, I've, I've, I've had the privilege of going to Israel twice, and I know this, that uh, there, is no, there is no serious historian that will, that will say that there wasn't a man, that there wasn't a rabbi named Jesus. I mean, it's a known fact over there, you know, that, that where he was born, where he lived, even you go around the synagogues that have been unearthed by archaeology, and they know that Jesus was reading right here. In teaching the people, and so no serious historian will will, uh, will discredit that will not believe that I mean even the great historian Josephus talks about the life of Jesus, the following he had uh, the difference is they may not think he 's the messiah okay but so there, there 's a historical evidence that that you know that Jesus was there a great story transcends generations, it passes down from generation to generation and you know, I believe that this is why the Bible is still the number one bestseller, uh, you know, every year. It was funny. We did a men's Bible study in James just a few, you know, our last semester. And one of them was on the Bible. And I was just doing research. And it's just amazing. You know, that there's been, since the Bible's been in print, there's been over 5 billion copies sold. 5 billion copies sold. It just—it just every year, you know, the Bible. They don't put when you see the best-selling books, the Bible's not on there, because it's so far ahead. It's embarrassing. I mean, it's millions and millions and millions of copies ahead every year, and and, and people are just people are just uh, really surprised that even in the digital age, and I mean, there's a lot of uh, digital Bibles sold as well too, but still, the hard copy of the Bible is still sold and still. Uh, going around, around the world at just a, an, incredible face, an incredible pace. And I, I, I believe because when you read the Bible, I, I want to encourage you to read the Bible. Read the Bible. You know, studies suggest that only 2% of Christians have read the Bible through. And I mean, the Bible is God's blueprint, blueprint for life. And how can you be influenced by the Bible? How can the Bible come off the pages and impact your heart if it's not getting in there? we got to get the Bible in there. And, you know, if you're new, just start in the New Testament. Start in the book of Matthew, with the life of Jesus. Just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And just let the story of Jesus just fill your heart with hope and faith and freedom. And so, but I I believe as you read the Bible, I mean, it's historically, there's just some fascinating things. The stories are incredible. And I believe the, the next thing is that a great story, a great story always has a supernatural element. A supernatural ingredient. In other words, uh, what, what that means is something happens that defies human logic. I mean, something happens, it's, it defies human logic. Uh, things happen in the story that they cannot be explained in our normal way of thinking. So, supernatural means there is a higher power, and I'm referring to God, that, that God had to be involved. To make something happen, I'll, I'll tell you. And we we've all heard stories like, "There's no way that could have happened, except for God." There's no way it could happen. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story. So one of um, I have a friend, and they they went on a hunting trip. Him and four people, and they went um, they went way they went drove to a car in the middle of nowhere. They got in a boat, drove up a river, then they walked back into the woods. And there was a hunting accident and one of the men was shot in, a chest, in the chest and, and with a shotgun. And every time his heart beat, you could see the little pellet holes, blood came through. And so one of my friends, he looked at his watch and he's thinking, it's over two hours to a hospital. And f- first of all, they had to ch- they, he panicked and started running, they had to go chase him down. They had to get him. They had to carry him to the boat. They had to load him up in the boat. They just left everything there. They went down the river. They got in the car. Then they're driving across country roads to the hospital. And he looked at his watch, and they got from way out there to the hospital in, like, 17 minutes. 17 minutes. And the guy's life was spared. And they were looking at that, and both of them, you know, the other two guys saw the, their clock, their watches, and they're like, that's impossible. So after, you know, several months later, after a friend was well and all that, um, they went back and re, redid the whole track. And it took them two hours and 45 minutes. Two hours and 45 minutes, going as fast as they could. And so, I mean, it, it, it's supernatural. And so... Uh, you know, if you, if you think about this, um, there's only one way to explain the Christmas story. It's supernatural. It's supernatural uh, that the, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she conceived and that, and that Jesus was protected from all these outside ingredients. Um, you know, Galatians 4.4, 4, it says this, uh, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem Those who are under the law. And if you've been here long enough, you've heard me talk about uh, how everything, when God sent Jesus in the world, everything politically, language-wise, road-wise, everything came together perfect for the spreading of the gospel like wildfire. The Roman Empire had united the whole world. There were roads to travel on, there was a common language. Uh, All the state barriers were down and you could travel anywhere you wanted. And and so again, it's a supernatural story. Jesus just didn't happen into history where he came. He was sent there by God when it was the perfect time, the supernatural. And then of course, the last thing we're gonna talk about today is, is this, is that any great story, it cannot be a great story if it doesn't have application in your life. I mean, no one ever says, oh, that was a great story, but it doesn't mean anything to me. Oh, that was a great story, but it has no value for me. And if you think about the story of Christmas, uh, it, 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 the, the, the Christmas story, it brings a new perspective into our lives. It changes the way we see life. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about this series. And I, I just want to encourage you because sometimes... When we re- hear something, I mean, sometimes when we come to church over and over again, we, we just, okay, yeah, that's good. Or if, we, if you read your Bible, sometimes it's possible to have everything we need right at our fingertips and not realize we have it. It's possible that there's life-changing truth right on our fingertips, but we don't, we don't grab it. And so I want you to think about this story. Sometimes we, if you we hear the Christmas story every year, you go through it, it just becomes like, yeah, just another story. But there's historical implications. There's, there's in supernatural implications with the story of, of Christmas. And I'm hoping that uh, I can do this justice. And we, as we go through this, we can it really invoke our passion it will invoke our, our lives and, and help us to really think about something. But the Christmas story, it delivers hope. It delivers peace. It delivers forgiveness and strength into our lives on a whole new level. The Christmas story has the ability to change our perspective on life. And and, and don't you think this is so needed today? A new perspective is needed today. Can we get the band to, to come on up? It's... I mean, think about it, Some, so many times what I notice when I talk to people is that, just stay with me just for a minute, we get so bogged down in the past that we can't move forward. Or we get so stuck in the present that we can't move forward. Or we're so worried about the future that we're just paralyzed. And that's our greatest work, our greatest things to overcome is our past, our present, and our future. And the Chris, you said, well, Terry, that, that's everything. Correct. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say, and so, but if we it, if we have a savior, it delivers us from our past. It helps us manage the present, and our future is secured. And, I mean, th- think about this. it. Well, how, how can your future be secured? Because whatever happens, I have a savior. Whatever happens, I have a savior. No matter what life throws at me, if I die physically. I have a Savior. I'm going to live with Him. If I live until He comes in the clouds, I'm I'm taken care of. Whatever happens, uh, you know, it, it, it is taken care of. And so, the Christmas story it has the potential to elevate our lives if we can grasp the true meaning, the true story of Christmas. Would you stand with me this morning? Jesus. so thankful that you loved us enough to send your son for our redemption for our salvation for for the things that we brought on ourselves. and God I just pray I pray for several things first of all I pray that during this Christmas season you would reawaken the story of Christmas to us with all of its elements with all of its you know just twists and turns God reawaken the Christmas story and how special it is to us But secondly, God, I pray that we would live the Christmas story and we would represent that to other people, God. Help us to other people to represent generosity. Help us to give other people second chances just as you gave us second chances. Lord, help us to demonstrate love to people just as you demonstrated love to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I'm going to... Before we're dismissed, I'm going to pray for you, but uh, we were, obviously we have a new screen here, like I told you last week, and uh, I was I was so encouraged. I was so encouraged, guys are walking, they said, hey, we can watch the Texans on that. <laughs> that's funny, it's like, thank you for thinking so spiritually, you know. Uh, yeah, he said, yeah, that's in Mark 4. okay. Uh, well, anyway, so. Uh, we're, we're so glad you're here. I'll be out in the foyer if I can talk to anybody. Let's just ask God to help us today. Lord, I just pray a blessing over your people. Everyone here, God, we are your people. This is your people. and Your word says that you have you, we are in a covenant with you. And because we are in a covenant with you, not because we're especially good, not because we're especially smart or special, because we're in covenant with you, there are blessings that we can take to the bank. God, your word says that we can prosper no matter what the economy does. Your your word says that we can live in health. Your word says that we can be blessed and highly favored everywhere we go. So I pray for your blessings and your favor and your protection to be upon your people this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, guys, if y'all could help us back the chairs, that would be awesome.